Let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We're in Ephesians 2 because this month of August, we're just going to go back and go back to some fundamental things about uh, the vision that God has handed down for our church in particular. We spent the summer talking about the Holy Spirit and his empowerment of the church and the uh, the giving of spiritual gifts and uh, all the ways that God has equipped us. And then each local church has to find, has to like figure out how do we take what, what God is doing and how do we like uh, get organized with that. Um, in seminary, one of my professors, he... He made a statement that has stuck with me ever since then. He said, said, the church is not an organization. The church is an organism. Like a living, breathing, feeling, like full of expression organism. She's alive. She has seasons of growth. She has seasons of not growth. She has times that are really great and times that are really a struggle. She weeps. And she celebrates and she feels every single bit of it because the church is people. And, uh, you know, he was, and he was saying that and we're all like, man, that's so cool because it seems like there's a lot of us that come from backgrounds where churches are structured like corporations or businesses. Like we have this real industrial model for things because we're Americans and that's where everything comes down to, right? Business. And uh, the church sort of just took on a lot of those principles. And in making that one statement, I feel like he'd, he helped, like the Spirit used that moment to pivot me in another direction. I'm like, yeah, like, this thing is alive. You know, we have, to, we have to treat her like she's alive. And then he said, but remember, every healthy living organism is intricately organized. Like very, very, very organized. So the reason that the human body can grow and shrink and feel great, like feel uh, um, celebration and also grieve, and we can do all these kinds of things, is because God has organized the body to do all that. And so I was like, okay. So what he's saying is, he's not saying don't be organized. He's just saying be organized like a living organism. Like make sure that the structure allows the church to breathe, you know, to be. Um, and so taking that, those ideas, whenever it was time to become a church plant uh, on the Living Hope side of our uh, joint you know, combined story, we had to figure out, where, what does it even mean to be a church? Like, how do you even, what is that all about? What makes a church a church? There's all kind of theories and all kind of like positions out there. But what we gathered from studying the, the scriptures and from reading from uh, like people who have like, our church kind of expert people, it seemed to us that churches were, they were unified around certain things. They're saying, this is what we believe. This is what we're trying to do. This is how we're going to do it. Uh, And we're committed to one another and to the Lord and to this, like doing these things in these ways. Let's all put our hands in the middle and make our commitment and then let's get to work. And so we needed to give people something to like, Ponder and be like, do I believe this? Is this what what I feel called to do and how I feel called to do it? Enough to be able to put their hands in the middle and say, let's go. And so we came away with these like four. We call them core values because at the time that's what you called stuff like this. Uh, but like these are like the like these are the big ideas that are guiding all the things that we're doing. 
So last week we looked at Ephesians 4, which is sort of like this overarching, like this is where the goodness comes from. Uh, these next four Sundays in August, we'll be looking at one of those each one of those components. And the first one is the very first thing that makes us a church. But before we have a name or a constitution or a covenant or like any of the teams or structures or any of that other kind of stuff, before any of that stuff, the thing that makes us a church is that Jesus says you are a church. Like Jesus says you are you are my my church. Even the word church means it means belonging to God. We are the family of God that belongs to God because he says it. He's done it. And so we're going to take a very quick journey through Ephesians 2 to be able to see like this, this is what we're talking about when we say that we're unified in Christ. Being unified in Christ is the most important thing about us as a church. And so let's run through Ephesians 2 for the next couple of minutes. He starts off really positive. And you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins of which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay? Happy, right? He's like, okay, if you want to really understand what Christ has done, you got you to start at where you were. You got to understand where you've come from. The situation you were in before Jesus intervened. And it best summed up in the first few words, you were dead in your sins. Spiritual death entered the world in Genesis 3. God tells us like exactly like how that happened. Is that man looked at God and then looked at themselves and said, I think I can do better than you. I think that you're holding out on me. I think that you're lying. Um, I think that you know if we eat of this tree, we're going to become like you, and you don't want any rivals. And so you're trying to you're trying to keep us stifled over here. And uh, we think this is a gateway to a whole new world. So we're going to eat of this tree, and we're going to become like you, and we're going to show you that uh, you're not that special. And so that first lie, being God is not who He says He is, and He's He's actually holding out on you. Uh, they rebelled against Him. And in that moment, they became dead. Human, humanity became dead. Spiritual death entered into the world. And also, like, the kind of death that we think about. And so every time someone passes away, it's a reminder that that's what sin has done. Sin has brought death into our world. And spiritual death is what we were born into. That that has just been passed down and passed down and passed down and passed down. And so in order to understand the um, amazingness of what it means to be united in Christ and one in, in what he has done, we have to just know where we've come from. So he lays it out there accordingly. You were dead. You were following the patterns of the world, following the this prince of the power of the air, following this liar. Uh, and it created all this brokenness. 
Verse 3, giving into the passions of the flesh and carrying out what your body is telling you you want or what your mind is telling you that you want. But the whole time you're failing to realize that you're dead. Like you're lying to yourself. Your body's lying to you. Your mind is lying to you. The enemy is lying to you. All the commercials you watch are lying to you. Everything is lying to you. It's all broken. It's a pretty dire situation. And then comes verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. May we never get tired of hearing that. May we never read that and be like, okay, I know that. Go on to the next thing. May we never hear that and not be humbled and blessed and challenged. And that should make something happen within us. Or have we, well, we could become so calloused that that stops affecting us. You were dead, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you, us, even when you were dead in your trespasses, made you alive together with Christ. Made us alive together with Christ. That what we see happen to Jesus on Good Friday... We were dead, and he was raised, and we were raised. Like that, his story is our story because he said, Hey, do you want your story, my story to be your story? Like, if you want to stay dead, you can stay dead, but if you don't want to stay dead, uh, I know the way to life. It's with me. He puts in brackets, verse 5 By grace, you've been saved. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. Verse 6, we're raised with him. That a part of that love raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What What does that mean? Well, Jesus, Good Friday, in the tomb. Easter Sunday, raised, walking in new life. Forty days later, he ascends, goes to the Father, sits down at his right hand, and he is interceding for the church, and he is ruling and reigning over the universe. And this says that we're seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It means that Jesus is seated, and so are you. That Jesus is an intercessor, which we get to be a part of, and he's ruling the universe, which you and I are too. And I know that seems weird. And I know that you might not feel like a powerful ruler of the universe. Most of the time, life tends to indicate the other thing, that the universe is ruling us, right? Like, you don't feel very powerful. You don't feel like you're in control of a lot. You don't feel like what you say goes. However, he has given us these little kingdoms, Right within within your kingdom is 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 your time and your money 
and you, where you live and what you drive and your phone and all these choices that you have to make. And you get to be the king of those things. It's your little kingdom. And so you and Jesus are seated in heavenly places ruling over your little kingdom. And should be the two of you sitting there being like, okay, what are we going to what are we going to do with the money that has been entrusted to us? What are we going to do with the phone that's been entrusted to us? What are we going to do with the time that's been entrusted to us? Jesus, let's let's collaborate here and let's feel like figure out how are we going to rule over this little kingdom of ours. Now, sometimes you're like, Jesus, mind your own business, <laughs> you know, stay on your side of this kingdom thing. But we're seated with Him in heavenly places where we. We have choices that we get to make. We get to influence the world. We get to be stewards of creation. We get to bring the kingdom of God close to the people around us. We get to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God in places where the kingdom of God is not represented. We get to be salt and light. We get to be the city on a hill. We get to be all those things I was talking about earlier in the prayer. We get to do all of that because the love of God has in, has like set into motion not only raising us to new life, but including us in watching over all of creation. It's, it's awesome. All of that because of the great love with which he loved us. Not only enough to save us, to bring us from death to life, but to say, hey, come be a part of what's going on. Isn't that what love does? Like, doesn't love say, "Hey, come be, come be a part of my life." Isn't that what family does? Family says, "Come be, let's be, a, let's do this together. Let's come be a part of this." That's why the church is is who she is, is because God has said, "I'm going to take all these people, bring them to life, and then we're going to do this incredible thing together forever." That's what makes us a church. That's what makes the global church, like capital C, all around the world, that's what makes us one huge church, is the fact that God has done this for us. But why? The first why is because of the great love that he has. But then there's also, there's like a missional strategic point as well. Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the coming ages, which we're a part of, he might show, like, might put on display the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay? So let me, let me, let me uh, let's take teachers for a second. That all of our teachers who are in Christ, he has brought from death to life, raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places so that he can show future generations the immeasurable riches, richness of his grace that he's shown in Christ Jesus. So, you have a teacher standing in the hallway and God's like, look what I've done. Look, look, at, look at her life. Look at his life. 
Look what I can do. I can bring someone from death into life, and then I bring them into my family. And I bring them as light into dark places. I can do this with anyone. Other faculty members who don't, who don't know the Lord, look, look at her. Students who don't know the Lord, look at him. Look, look at what the power of God can do in a life. Every one of us, as we go to work in our neighborhoods, as we go to the grocery store, as we do whatever we do, God's constantly just parading us around, showing us off as an invitation of saying, I can do this for you as well. There's room in my family. There's room at my table. My, my, my cross can do this for you too. He did this because he loves you and he loves those who don't know this message yet. And so through your transformed life, he parades you around as an advertisement of sorts to say, this is what the gospel can do. He's offering out this gracious gift to the world. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. In, In that showing off to the world and inviting people into it, a part of what he's saying is this person did not raise themselves from the dead. They didn't earn their way from death to life. They're not keeping a bunch of rules. It's not because they uh, have like prayed just the right prayers or done just the right kind of disciplines and all that kind of stuff. They're, they got here Because I looked at them and said, here's life, do you want it? And they said, they believed what I was saying was true and said yes. It's by grace that you've been saved, you you don't earn it. It's the gift of God. And so we don't walk around our world boasting in our own stuff. We walk around our world humbled saying, I cannot believe that I'm a son of God. I cannot believe that I'm a daughter of God. The king. I can't believe that I'm alive. I can't believe that this is my reality. It's, I mean, I believe it, but it's like mind blowing that this is really happening. That that's that's who the church is. It may not always be <clears throat> how the church acts. You know, like we we may not always be an accurate embodiment of the reality that the scriptures talk about here. But it doesn't change the fact that that's really who we are. In times, we're just behaving in a way that's contrary to who we are. Whenever we're not walking that out, that's what's happening. But it doesn't mean that it's not really there. And a part of walking with the Lord is that day by day, little by little, we get more consistent with it. This seeps down further into our hearts. It transforms us from one degree of glory to another. We look more and more and more and more and more. Like Christ, that that's what we're going for, you know. That's that's who we are. That's why we're trying to do these things in these ways, is because we believe like that this is true and real. 
Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're his workmanship. That as he parades us around and shows us off and through that invites others into it, he's so proud. His love for you is indescribable. His dreams for you go far beyond the things that you could dream for yourself. Parents, you know, you know how you, you have all these hopes and these dreams for your kids? And you would you give anything for those things to become true for them. And on the days when they are struggling and hurting, it's like you feel like it's ten times worse for you to watch them struggle and hurt. Or the days when they are celebrating and they're walking like something awesome has happened to them, and it's like it's like it happened to you times a million, you know. That connection, like they're made in your image. That's why you're connected to them. Well, whose image are you made in? Well, you could say biological parents, true. But in this context, we're we're talking about being made in the image of God as his workmanship. And he's created, he has all of these good things for you that he's prepared in advance. He has all these like plans for you. Not to, not to harm you, but to what? For you to be prosperous and fruitful and like this incredible blessed life. Which does not mean that you won't have struggles and difficult things. It's not this idea that like, well, you follow Christ, nothing, nothing bad will happen to you. No. He'll be good to you in the bad things that happen because of the broken world that we live in. But we are his workmanship. When we look in the mirror, a lot of times we see all our deficiencies and all the things we wish we could change. and We see regret and we see so much because we're just insecure people. Even pride is really just insecurity, just Turned inside out. God looks at us and he didn't see that stuff. He sees who you were when you were dead. He sees who you are, who you become since, since like coming to faith. He sees who you are in this moment. And he sees who you will become until the, you get to the other side, to the new earth. And he sees the like complete, like, perfect version of you as well. He sees all that at one time. He's like, I've got such incredible plans for you. Just just listen to me. Just trust the path of righteousness. Pray about everything. Trust that my spirit will, will, will guide you into all truth. That the path of righteousness for my name's sake is a real it's a real thing for you. Ask me for wisdom. I know what to do and how to do it in every situation that's there. Let me bless you, let me keep you. Let my face shine upon you. Let all those let all those things be real. You're my workmanship. In the very, very beginning, I, I created you with all these incredible things in mind. That you would walk in them. 
See, it's, it's from, from these things that the church is formed. As I said earlier, do we get some things wrong? Absolutely. Do we get some things right? Absolutely. Are we in process globally? Yes. Are we in process at Living Hope? Absolutely. Are we in process at the individual level? Yes. That's how he designed it to work. What's what what is what sends a better message to the world a uh, a slowly transformed life that's sustainable or like a radical I went to camp and I'm fired up for the next week so he's doing this long slow uh, a long obedience in the same direction kind of thing which actually Nietzsche said that which is kind of weird but he's right. That's the life well lived. A long obedience in the same direction. That's, that's what God is doing. And so when people say, well, what, what's living hope about? Or why do y'all do this? Or what do you, what's the vision? This and this and this and this. You've got to understand this stuff first. If we don't believe this, and we're, we're crazy to do anything else that we do. Otherwise, we're just another civic organization, you know. But when we understand and believe this is who we are from from our being from our like identity it makes sense to do all these things that we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks like these yeah like but your identity has to be in place first our whole world is just comp- so messed up and it's like finding our identity in the wrong places right like we talk about this a lot with college students because uh, that's such a formative time in terms of really like figuring out who you are. And our world tells us, yeah, no, it's easy to figure out. You just uh, you just take all the things that you're like whatever you do. Like if you're like into hobbies or if you're like into some academic subject or whatever your career is, you kind of have like the things that you do and. Uh, the experiences that you have, like the baggage that you carry, the scars and wounds and stuff, and then like you have a reputation that you kind of throw in the mix. You throw all these things together, and then you just try to be as successful as you can be, and that's sort of like where you find your identity in your in your career or in your accomplishments or what people think about you or how you look or you know whatever it is. That's your identity. It's easy to find. Most of the time you just ask other people and they'll tell you. But identity is found here in who God says that you are. That's that's where it's found. And so a lot of this process is us figuring out how do I strip away all the lies that I've been told my whole life about where to find my identity and to rest in the fact that this is what's true about me. Ephesians 2 is true about me. Ephesians true is Ephesians two is true about us, and that that will anchor you into something, like that that will change the trajectory of your life when you realize that this is who you are. I'm not saying that the things that you, I'm not saying that your career or the things that you've been through or those those things all they're important and they factor into your story. They're not definitive. They don't define you. Jesus defines you. And even as a church, you know, people 
people often try to, you know, like, was well, this a Baptist church or not a Baptist church? Or, you know, we, we get defined by our programs or our facility or all these different kinds of things. It's like, no, 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 all that stuff, that's all human construct stuff. What What's real and true about us? This. This is real and true about us. And by the grace of God, we'll keep trying to figure out how to, how to walk more truly and deeply in what he lays out here. We'll have some missteps. We've had plenty of missteps. It's not about getting it perfect. It's about God's grace carrying us forward. And here we are with three years merged and we got those three years behind us. We have the majority of a global pandemic behind us. We're asking God to open doors. It's when I was calling us, come do this, will you come do this? Like these these things are, are happening. We have like so much traction happening. God loves it. Enemy hates it. Trying to find ways to mess with it all the time. Nothing that the enemy tries to do. No, no like misstep. No mistake. No whatever is going to undo what Ephesians 2 says about us. Nothing. Nothing. And I don't know if you take comfort in that, but I take so much comfort in knowing Nothing can get to us in this regard. Even in the times where we we will maybe misrepresent what is being said here, just as as his church, as his global church, it doesn't undo it. And it gives us an opportunity to stand up sometimes and say, that wasn't really who we are. For an individual to be able to confess and say, I was acting in a way that was that's contrary to who I really am in that. For parents to sit down with their kids and apologize to them and say, the way I handled that was not consistent with who God's made me to be. And I can just keep going with all these examples. But we gotta we have to be like the bedrock has to be there. And this is one of the places that we find it. The rest of the chapter Kind of, it's almost like he's like, let me take another run at it. Because <laughs> it takes a very similar format. Look at verse 11. See, they were very divided. You had, you had Jewish people and you had everybody else. And the Jewish people hated everybody else. Just the summary title there is Gentiles. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Gentiles kind of hated the Jews because of the hatred that was there, but they didn't really have a reason for it. So you have the whole world and you have the Jewish population, and they were so resistant to Gentiles becoming believers, and there's all this tension. And so that's what he's addressing in this next section is like, hey, there's tons of division, but guess what? Jesus has actually dealt with that. He's dealt with the root issue of that. You just need to catch up to what he's done. Verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. That's a weird verse. 
All that's really saying is, uh, at one time, you Gentiles and Jews were against one another. And this is how they treated you. Verse 12, remember that uh, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What he's saying there is that division was keeping the gospel from getting to you. And God knew it. Now for them, it was Jews and Gentiles. But human history has shown us we'll find all kinds of ways to, to divide, be divided. Be anything. I don't even have to give you examples. You could, you could name me ten uh, without even taking a breath. Of all the ways that we have found to split and fracture one another based on all kinds of things. It's all rooted in sin. And for them, it was keeping them from the gospel, which meant that they were alienated from God and had no hope. Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who are far away from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins were not only dead, but you were far, you were separated, you were far from God. And so he not only made you alive, but he has brought you close to him. Love that. That through the cross, that's why we sing about the cross. That through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, we've been brought near to God again. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. That word peace, is, it's, it's that beautiful Hebrew word shalom. It talks about the, the wholeness that is God. That he himself has made us whole. He, he is our wholeness. He himself is our shalom who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So for them, he's saying it was Jews and Gentiles. And what God has done is he's taken both of those titles away and just merged you into like one, one thing. Trying to get them to realize that. You've been made one because Jesus has taken down the thing that divided you and now you're just like one big family. It's a beautiful vision for the church that's saying it doesn't really matter what you look like or where you're from or what your baggage is or like what your track record is or whatever it may be. Like you're just like one big family. Ideally one big happy family, but we'll just go with one big family, you know? Like we... We are different, and Paul has spent a lot of time talking about how beautiful that is. And from God's perspective, he's like, no, that's, that's what I did. I took people who were against each other, and I tore down the thing that was dividing them, and now they just need to st- slow down enough to realize, like, oh, we're siblings. We're brothers, we're sisters. We're... It's awesome that you're different than me. Even even church to church to church to church, you know, like it's awesome that there are churches whose whose music is different than here, or whose 
worship style or there are churches where as as someone is preaching there's like a lot of participation happening in the in the room it's like super energetic and there are other places where the preacher is like up on like a weird like uh, I say I shouldn't say weird but like on like a like exalted like place way up high I had to preach from way up there when I was in South Africa and it was like just the strangest thing but to them they were like no this is how it is it's awesome that there are differences among us because God has actually killed the thing that makes us divided. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He preached shalom to the Jews. He preached shalom to the Gentiles. He preached shalom to you and he preached shalom to people that are not like you. Which the world says that you have to push away from stuff that's not like you, or that's bad or weird or strange. And God is saying, no, 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 it's, it's the same message went to, went to everyone, and I've taken down what divided you, so now you just need to realize the oneness that is there. That is what has to drive us as a church from our, the identity that he's given us. We recognize this is what we're called to do, is to go to other people made in the image of God and find out, do you know you were made in the image of God? Do you know how important you are to him? Do you know that you were born dead? Do you know that God loves you and sent his one and only son so that you could believe in him because he doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to live forever with him and with us. It's awesome. Verse 19 as we close. So there are no longer... So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's speaking to these Gentiles. He's saying, I know for so long people have said, you don't have a place here, but Jesus has provided a place. You need to come. There's room in his house. There's room at his table. There's, there's, there, like, there's a place for you. Because Jesus says that there's a place for you. He's provided it. He's, he's building us. We're all bricks in this assembled like congregation that's making this temple for the Lord, like that's that's what God is doing. And there's always room for more bricks. That everyone is like is has this invitation held out to them of God saying, I will make you alive. Do you want to be alive? Do you believe do you believe that this is true? And by faith we say, I believe what you're telling me is true. And that's that's how you come in. If you're here and you've, you've never said, you never had that realization, never had that like prayer to him, you just, just tell him. You don't, I don't have to lead you in anything. You tell him. Say, I believe you're holding out to me the gift of life and I want it. And you pray and you sing and you do your thing and then uh, come find me afterwards if we need to talk about some stuff. Because I want to know. But if you have said yes to that, then I'll, this is all true about you. It's all true about us. And so from here, 
from here we can get into how the church, like what's our plan here, or how are we going to do this, what do we believe, all that kind of stuff. But this has to be embedded first. And as much, like as awesome as this chapter is, it's so easy in our humanness to be like, yeah, this chapter is awesome because it says so much great stuff about me. Which it does. But that is supposed to then, like, basically have us, like, turn and look at the Lord and say, I cannot believe that you would do this. Like, what does this tell us about God? That's, that's the big important thing. That, yes, from a sermon series standpoint, we need to talk about the church, but from a takeaway standpoint, this tells us a lot about Him. About a God who would do this for his rebellious kids. Both for the, in the prodigal son story, both for the rebellious younger one that went away and the kind of self-righteous, pious one who stayed. It's all the same. Like, you're my kids. Everything I have is yours. Let's party. That's what the prodigal son story, that's how it ends. And so may, may we look at the prodigal son story and not focus on the kids, but look at the father. He's the star of the story. Jesus is the star of this chapter. The whole thing about the church, what's so beautiful about the church is that Jesus is the hero of the church. And so I hope that that is what we walk away with today. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a little bit and express... Take whatever is stirred, this stirs within you and just channel that to the Lord because it's about Him. If you need to pray, if you need whatever you need to do in these moments, but um, let's take some time to thank the Lord that this is our reality. Let me pray for us. Lord, I, uh, on behalf of the room and those watching over the internet, God, I just want to, I want to humble us under your mighty hand. And to recognize the, the neediness that we bring to the table in terms of being dead and our trespasses and sins. But then you, you stepped in. And that, Tells us everything we need to know about you. And as much as we can focus on the identity of ourselves, we need to never forget where that finds its origin. It's in your character and in your goodness. And so this this morning as we um, as we sing and we respond a little bit, I pray God that that you would be the focal point for us and that we wouldn't get so caught up in how we individually or corporately benefit from this stuff that we forget. We forget that you are the hero of the story and that you are the big takeaway for us.